Hello, friends. We welcome you to episode three of Syracuse Sports. I'm Brent Axe. We have some football voicemails to react to coming up here on episode three, which came in after episode two, which we hope you can watch and listen to if you haven't already, which was all about Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers and all the questions surrounding his job going into the 2023 season. But it was a voicemail about basketball from Jordan that sets us up perfectly for what we're going to talk about today on episode three. I think Syracuse fans should be okay with and accepting of a team that doesn't make the tournament this year. I know every season the Syracuse men's basketball is not in the NCAA tournament. The town is on fire and everybody's freaking out. New coach, a little bit different of a roster makeup than we've seen recently, and Autry's hitting the recruiting trails. If Syracuse doesn't make the NCAA tournament this season, it is not the end of the world. Boy, that sets us up perfectly for a conversation that Mike Waters and I are about to have here. We brought in the Syracuse.com basketball beat reporter, award-winning sports writer, and the host of the Inside Syracuse Basketball podcast. And we're going to have some fun with this one, friends. Mike and I, draft style, select our starting five from the Syracuse basketball team based on the current roster with a lot of off-season insight mixed in between. Your voicemail is coming up, and one more thing, we're going to look at the tradition or lack thereof currently with Syracuse football as well. But right now, Mike Waters and I get our draft on. Let's get it. You know, one of the things that my next guest and I get asked all the time on social media, in the produce section at Wegmans, wherever it shall be, who's going to be the starting five for Syracuse basketball? And you know what, Mike Waters, for a long time, that didn't matter, right, under Jim Beheim, right? That starting five never seemed to matter in certain ways. It did in others. But with Adrian Autry coming in and a whole new philosophy in some ways coming in, that's actually a really intriguing question in that realm. And it's really intriguing because, well, there's a lot of new faces on this team. And what that not only starting five, but main five ends up being is going to be really interesting here. So. Instead of Mike and I just kind of giving you our starting fives, we're going to do it draft style, maybe. So, Mike, I don't know if that makes you like there's no like Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper for basketball, right? Shout out to Jonathan Gavoni. He, he's great at it. But like, I don't know, like who you're supposed to be and who and I'm supposed to be in, in the basketball draft world, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we have to play any uh, Mel Kuyper characters today. I, I don't think I'm going to be going Brent, 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 Brent. Uh, but- I can't do the Kuiper hair. I should have done that. I should have done like the slick Mel Kuiper hair here. So pick your favorite uh, draft analyst. And Mike and I are going to, from this current Syracuse basketball roster, draft not only a starting five, but like our best five in that way, right? So we're just going to go back and forth here. And we are going to determine in this draft our best five, Okay. Now, I said I was going to flip a coin to start this thing, Mike, and of course, I don't have a coin in my pocket. So, I am going to give our guest the first pick here. I'm going to defer to Mike. We are going to go back and forth until we have our five, and then we'll figure out who's left and go from there. And, Mike, I hand it off to you. The first pick in the Syracuse basketball, Syracuse sports draft, to you, sir. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for uh, 
for giving me the first pick, especially since, and I, I have to file an objection before we get started here. Okay. When, when we came up with this idea a few days ago that we were going to have a draft of the uh, Syracuse roster. Uh, Brent initially suggested we were going to do a snake draft. Yep, we left the, we left the meeting. It was going to be a snake. So Brent would get pick one. I'd get two and three, and then he'd get four and so on like that. Like a lot of drafts are done. And then the morning that we're taping the podcast, he switches it up on me after That's I right. have devoted Seconds, if not minutes, of prep. <laughs> it got over the minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> I listen, mean, you know, the effort listen, I put into this. I, I'm just diversion tactics, smoke screens are part of drafts, Mike. You just, you know, especially that 48 hours into the draft, you never know what's out there. You got to be careful what's out there. So I, I'm just keeping on your toes. That's all. Okay, then that, that's all fair. Right. As long as I had, I had a chance to get that out there, so everyone's under understands the the disadvantage I'm at right now. Okay. Um, with that said, with the first pick, Mike Waters, ladies and gentlemen. How, how can you take anybody other than Judah Mintz to start yeah. off a Syracuse draft? I he started every game as a freshman at the point guard last year. He led all ACC rookies in scoring, all ACC rookies in assist. He led the entire ACC period in steals. Yeah, he just had a fantastic freshman season. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about where this we think this next year's team's going to be. And, you know, as we go through the draft, I and mean, we're not just drafting, we're going to talk about the team. But, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me with Judah is early on in last season, he struggled from three-point range. And I don't think we really noticed how over the course of the season he got better from three-point range. He took better shots. He took some, you know, he was very selective in the ones he took. Um, he took open ones, but he started making more. And, you know, it, yes, for the season, he made like 30% from three-point range. But in ACC games, he shot 33. Now, 33 isn't going to knock your socks off, right? But if we're talking a freshman whose one area of deficiency is three-point shooting, and that number is 33%, in conference play, that's not that bad. And I think we're probably looking at 33% as the floor for him as a sophomore. And maybe he even does a little better. And I think he's going to be okay. But yeah, Judah Mintz is the guy, number one. I didn't have to think about that one too much. The whole tenor of the team rests on Judah. Everybody was waiting on bated breath to see whether he would come back or not as he went through the draft process. And, and once he did, that collective breeze you felt was Syracuse fans saying, yes. Judah is back for another year. Now, Mike, in the spirit of kind of making it up as we go along here, I, I'm going to make a note here before I make my, my official first pick here. In a different world, not so long ago, in a galaxy not so far away, my first pick here would have been Jesse Edwards. Really? Had he still been on this roster. And if I had your first pick, it would have been Jesse Edwards. I just think... When you have a unicorn like that, a big man that can score the way he can, who's great around the basket, the the rebounding aspect of it, just the the player he was developing into, I think you can build so much around that. It's literally a center. It is an anchor of your team. So I just wanted that noted for the record, that Jesse would have been my first pick, okay? Now I look at the board and I say, okay, if Mike's going Judah, I got to go JJ, Right. Mike's got his guard. I've got my guard. Mike, the projections are off the charts, it seems, for what this backcourt can be. People are really excited. 
about, and I know that as we'll, we'll talk and go along here, we'll mention this, but it feels like Adrian Autry is going to mix up lineups. We could see three guards at times. It, it's not these two for 40 minutes a game, but it just feels like Judah and JJ are developing into that backcourt. So if you've got Judah, I, I've got to have my anchor in the backcourt. If Jesse's not available, give me JJ Sterling. Yeah, I endorse that pick. Uh, JJ was probably the starting point guard if Judah had remained in the draft. Uh, now that Judah comes back, I think JJ gets to play off the ball a little bit more. Uh, he'll also take a little bit of uh, pressure off of Judah because he's another guy who can handle the ball. Um, you know, another guy who can slash and get to the basket. He's got size. It, yeah, no, that's that's a good pick, and, and I really like him. And and and. You know, there's another one there. I, and I talk to people and they're like, where's the three-point shooting going to come from? You know, and they point now to J.J. as a freshman. And yes, you know, J.J. didn't shoot it all that great uh, as, as a freshman at Notre Dame. But he's he was the flip side of Judah. You know, through like the first 18 games of the year last year, Notre Dame or something like that. I forget the exact number. But he was shooting 33% from three-point range. That's not a number as a freshman that's going to cause a lot of concern. It's like, yeah, he's fine. Don't worry about him. 33%. He's good. He ended up with a shoulder injury. He had a knee injury that uh, they ended up shutting him down at the end of the season. You know, he didn't play in the ACC tournament. Uh, he hit a slump. And I, I forget what the exact numbers were, but, he, I mean, we're talking like his last 10, game, 10 games he played in, he was at 20% from three-point range. It really dragged down his shooting percentage for the year. I think, listen, Judah and JJ, neither one of them is Joe Girard. But I think on the whole, they're going to be fine as shooters from the outside. Well, Mike, before you make your second pick, uh, what are you hearing about just how JJ is acclimating to this team, where he fits in terms of his style of play? Adrian Autry, of course, talked to him a lot when they were recruiting him when he was here, of course, at Baldwinsville. So it feels like it not only is it kind of a plug and play might be a little bit too much uh, to say, but JJ was one of the top transfers on the board, period. And he comes to Syracuse in what feels like a comfortable situation, as good as you can get as a transfer. You hit on the exact word I was going to use, and that's comfortable. Uh, he's come home. It's a program he's familiar with. It's a coaching staff he's familiar with. You know, Adrian Autry did a lot of recruiting of that kid uh, back in high school. You know, obviously they didn't get him. He stayed at Notre, you know, Notre Dame, stayed down that Indiana area after going to prep school out there for a couple of years. But it, it feels like he's he's sliding in and he's going to be a natural fit there in the backcourt with Judah and also some of the other players. And we're going to get to him soon as we continue to draft guys. Uh, he gives Syracuse and, and Adrian Autry a lot of flexibility here. Um, and I think we're going to be keep using that. There's going to be flexibility, versatility, multi-positional guys. Yeah, it feels like that. So on to pick number two. For Mike Waters, the third overall pick of the draft. Third overall pick in the draft. There's a lot of ways you can go here. There really is. I know, right? I'm going Benny Williams. Uh, oh, good. I love it when I, I wanted Benny. the guy's draft pick. <laughs> you know, people look back on Benny's sophomore year. It was his first full year as a starter. Really the first, you know, he did hardly played as a freshman. So he comes in, he, he starts every game or close to every, no, not every game, like 30 out of 32 games, you know, they, they think, Oh, he was a starter. And then they look at his number seven points a game, four rebounds a game. And you're not dazzled by that. You have to remember he only played 22 minutes a game. 
if you now think of Benny Williams as a sixth man coming off the bench and playing 22 minutes, your perception of last season changes. You're like, wow, seven points and four rebounds off the off the bench. That's fantastic. Um, I think as he becomes more comfortable in the program, he's now he's been a full time starter for an, for a full season. God, you look back at last year and he made 39% of his three point attempts. That's outstanding for a six foot nine forward. And I think really we'll is. see him do more. And the one thing I talked with Adrian Autry earlier this summer about Benny, and they talked about him being stronger, which is going to help him in terms of rebounding. And it's going to help him in terms of finishing around the basket. And if he starts doing that, I think you got a guy who can give you double figure scoring and he can improve his rebounds by two, two and a half a game. Mike, I think what everybody agreed with watching Benny last year was something along the lines of, man, when it all comes together for this kid, he is just going to be a hell of a player. And look, he went through some stuff. You know, it was away yes. from the team there a little bit, had some personal things going on. You know, I think people had him locked in as somebody who would transfer away in the offseason, but he committed to it. He came back. And when it does all come together for Benny, like this could be an all ACC type of player. And I feel like this is the year to do it. He was going to be my big upside pick. You mentioned some of the, the great attributes of his game inside and outside. We saw it in that ACC tournament game against Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. that, was a, that was a great pick, Mike. That was a great pick. So now I've got to make a decision here. And it's something you brought up earlier. Where's the three-point shooting going to come from on this team, right? There's a lot of possibilities here. And I want a three-point shooter, which I may have in JJ, like you said. Yeah, it's okay. All right, so I'm, I'm debating between three names here. I'm going to go with this one here. With the fourth overall pick, my second pick, I'm going to take Malik Brown. I'm going to take Malik Brown. I, I just love his presence around the basket. I love how he finishes. I love his hustle. I just want that consistent inside presence because we haven't gotten to this position yet, but when we do, there's a lot of question marks surrounding the center position with Jesse gone. Yeah. There's only three listed forwards on this team. Like now, Justin Taylor can go either way and chance Westry could go either way. There's a couple of versatile guys. Don't get me wrong, but Quadier Copeland can play the three. Quadier can absolutely play the three. Yeah. Just give me the pure muscle around the basket guy and what his game grows into. And I'm going to throw that over to you, Mike. Have you talked to the coaches about him? How do you feel Malik's game can grow this year? I'm, I'm taking an upside pick here, which I was going to do with Benny as well. And I think if Malik comes into his own here, I'm going to, I'm going to feel pretty good about this one. I'm sensing a lot of excitement about Malik Brown within the program. Uh, they, a guy who, you know, Syracuse fans saw him last year, just a nose for the ball, especially around the boards, always seemed to be in the right spot for that offensive put back. Uh, no, knew his game, knew enough to like stick around in the paint. And that's where he got his shots from. Uh, you know, found openings in there, but I, they, if I, I'm, I'm getting that they like the versatility again, there's that word. He can play the four. If Benny comes out or if Benny moves to the three, there's Malik Brown or, and this is going to be really key. This season will be really interesting. Malik at the five. We saw him a little bit last year at the five. I think we might see him more as they look to play man to man when they want to go a little smaller and they want to be athletic and active and push the pressure out. I think you see Malik Brown at the five a lot. And like the one time you wouldn't see him at the five in a man to man situation, 
is if you're going up against North Carolina with an Armando Bacot, who's, you know, a mountain, or DJ Burns of NC State, who's a bigger mountain, uh, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, guys like that. And, you know, and, and, you know, those times you'll have other guys that you, that you can slide in there or you go zone. But Malik Brown, interesting pick, Brent. And now you, let me slide this you, in there before you, my draft board. Now I got oh, go, I got a huddle. You threw a monkey wrench in mine, so I threw one right back in your spokes. So <laughs> let me just say this real quick before you make your next pick. About okay. here's my question about Malik: How much did he benefit last year from the presence of Jesse Edwards? Right, the double teams and and the defensive attention that went Jesse's way. He would kind of get some of those open baskets. He's just got to create on his own a little bit more. I, I think he's capable of that. Yeah, okay. Right. This when is Jesse was on one side of the lane. Malik's guy was paying attention to Jerry, right. uh, Jesse and, and, and Malik could slide in for that weak side rebound. Yeah, you're right. That's right. We'll That's see. Right. It's a challenge. Pick five. Mike's oh. third overall pick. Boy, this really gets tough at this point. Um, decisions, you know? decisions. I know, right? You know, I was going to go one way with this pick, but I'm going to change my mind at the last minute, and I'm going to take Chris Bell. Okay, Chris Bell. I like Chris Bell a lot. I think he uh, grew a lot last year, thrown into the fire, started 30 out of 32 games as a freshman. Um you were talking, we were talking earlier about three point shooting. Chris Bell last year, what was it? Like he's second on the team to Gerard and made three pointers. He made he had 39 39 threes last year. Yeah. And it's not just that, it's his, his overall shooting, too. Um, he finishes the year at like 34% from three point range, 34, 35%, something like that. But you know what? He was shooting 40% through mid January. He was at 40. And I think if you remember, you know, Chris Bell, he was slender guy starting all the time. I think he hit a little bit of a freshman wall. Uh, his shooting really, you know, tailed off towards the end of the season. I think there's a chance that we see Chris Bell shoot 38 to 40% from three point range for the entire season this year. And I know like we were talking with Malik without Jesse, will Chris Bell get as many open looks without Joe Girard? We'll have to see. Now, some of that's going to have to come from the creativity of J.J. Starling and Judah Mintz, maybe. You know, guys who drive the ball and attract defenders versus Joe Girard, who always, you know, whose defenders never left them. But I, I think Chris Bell is, is in line for a, for a good season. And and we'll recall, too, you know, Chris Bell was criticized a lot by Jim Beheim last year for his lack of rebounding. Yes. He only averaged one and a half rebounds a game at the small forward spot. Now, that's not a lot. But you know what? In his last six games of the season last year, he averaged three rebounds a game. And if you took out one game against Duke where he had zero in 11 minutes and got benched, um, it's three and a half rebounds a game in his last five. I mean, that's enough for me for a small forward. Um, and especially when you remember, you know, he was only getting about 22, 23 minutes a game. So, yeah, Chris Bell's my guy. I'm, I'm going I'm with still- the shooter. I'm still kind of wondering what kind of player Chris Bell is. And yeah, you I brought it I up. Know. The rebounding was an issue. Is he a three-point shooter? What kind of forward is he? What kind of player is he? We're going to find that out as we go here. I don't know if the current structure of the team and where they're going settles that or creates more questions. But, man, when he's on and he's hitting, and, Mike, you've heard the stories. I've heard the stories of how he can light it up at practice. Yep, I like that pick. Now, 
Let's remind everybody who's off the board so far. Mike started things off with Judah Mintz. Then I went J.J. Starling. Mike to Benny Williams. Me to Malik Brown. And Mike just took Chris Bell. So that's who's off the board to this point. I have the second um, alternate universe pick. Had Joe Girard been on the roster, this is where I would have taken him. Just to have that consistent, yep, senior three-point shooter, know what I'm getting, no question marks, just this is my guy, plug and play. So just for the record, Joe would have been my third pick, the six overall. With that said, with the six pick, I'm going to take Justin Taylor. I still have a lot of questions about Justin. I feel like he can make a huge adjustment from year one to year two. I love that you might, as you put it with Chris Bell, I love that he was thrown into the fire, tried to figure some things out. There wasn't too much pressure on him last year, but I think he earned enough last year and showed enough last year that he could go into this offseason knowing exactly what he had to work on, and I think his role is a little more defined this year. And I'm just looking for three-point shooters, right? And I think Taylor, just from who's left on the board, because I honestly don't know enough about Chance Westry. Maybe you're going to swoop in, take him next, and, and make me look stupid here. But I just – Justin Taylor, to me – like I just had this vision in my head, guy on the wing, open for three, and if he can sharpen up that game, I just I just feel good about the the leap that he can make this year. What what if anything are you hearing about uh, Justin's offseason, Mike? Well, for one, uh, one reason to like your pick there is you look at Justin's freshman year shooting from three point range. I, I hope people understand how hard it is for a freshman to shoot thirty nine percent from three point range in a bench roll. You know, you're coming in cold. You don't know where you are in the flow of the game. And yet he makes nearly 40% in, in that bench role. I, I think he's outstanding. What I'm hearing a little bit about Justin Taylor this year is, first of all, tremendous shape. Like he has brought himself through the summer and through summer camp, and he's looking really, really good. And, you know, any concern we might have about, you know, can he play man-to-man defense? I think those are being put to rest right now. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to see Justin Taylor with a little time at the two and a, and, a, and a lot of time at the three this year. Okay, I'm feeling much better about that pick. Rock on. That, that's like a great that. stat, by the way, 39%. For a bench guy, like you said, he's coming in cold. Some games he's getting, you know, solid minutes. Some games he's just making a cameo appearance. That's pretty good. And the question you brought up there, Mike, applies to all these players, by the way, how they adjust to the man-to-man defense, which is going to be a fascinating storyline going into this season. Yeah, we might get into that here with a few more guys left on the board. All right. So we are on to pick number seven overall and Mike's fourth pick of this draft. This is a guy I almost took with my previous pick, but I held off because I wanted that three-point shooting from Chris Bell. But now at this point, I am very, very happy to see Naheem, Big Duke McLeod, still on the board. And I am taking who in my lineup, is going to be my starting center. And I think he might even be the starting center for the orange this season. If for no other reason, then why wouldn't you want a seven foot four guy to jump the opening tap for you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's huge, Mike. I mean, I remember when Syracuse would play Florida state, it was like, man, that is like the, the best off the bus guy in the ACC almost. Yeah. Yeah. And Syracuse is going to look really good in the airport or walking off the bus when you consider you got Naheem McLeod at seven, four, you got William Patterson at seven, two, Munir Hema at six, 11 and Peter Carey at six, 11. Uh, that's a lot of height. And it's one reason why I waited on Naheem. 
Um, I also waited on him because I was hoping and praying that after you took Malik, that you'd look for shooting in the third round and I'd get, and I would get Manaheem. So uh, that works out for me. You know, we'll have to see what Naheem can give Syracuse this year. Obviously a very limited role at Florida state uh, spent the last two years there, you know, about three and a half, four points per game, about three rebounds per game while only playing 13 minutes a game last year. That's not a lot of time. When I've talked to the coaches this year, though, they're very, very happy with him. They like him. Uh, they like his experience. First of all, if you have to replace a Jesse Edwards, it's great to do it with a guy who's got ACC experience. Uh, they th- they say he can catch and finish. Uh, they like his touch around the basket. They think he, they might he, they might get a little bit more offense out of him than some people are thinking. But it's it's like how long can a seven four two hundred fifty five pound guy expected to be played? You know, how long can you really keep him on the court? So they're really working on conditioning with him. And I think, you know, probably, you know, if, if he's playing well, you hope you can get 20 to 25 minutes a game out of him, which is still going to give a lot of time at the five to other folks like Malik Brown, uh, Munir Hima, or, you know, Peter K, the younger guys, Carrie and Patterson. We'll see. We'll have to see. But I'm taking Naheem because how can you pass on anybody with a nickname like Big Duke? You can't. You can't let him fall too to fall down the board just just for that reason alone right there that's fantastic all right now i got some choices to make because i've got malik who can play the five i've got shooting i've got a guard that can lead the way so now i'm left with do i go center do i go with an unknown transfer or a couple of those names who are still on the board or do i go with a player i hope makes a leap takes advantage of his minutes can play a couple of different positions. And man, I just love the way he plays. So between him and somebody I'm not quite sure about yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about, I am going to take Quadir Copeland here. Yeah, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Copeland on the board here, which brings up a conversation, Mike. I don't know what your next pick's going to be, but it okay. brings up a conversation because I'll, I'll just say flat out. I was debating between either Quadir or Chance Westry, right? Sure. Do I, I yeah. to use the pun, do I take a chance on Chance knowing what I've heard, knowing what I've seen in highlights and, you know, the great coverage that you and Donna have had about these transfers, but I just don't know enough about Chance mm-hmm. and I know in a draft you have to take some chances here. The puns are just flowing left and right right now. You're beginning to sound like ABBA. I really am. I really am. Take I just chance, love how I just love how Q plays. I just love how Hardy plays. Yeah. I love the versatility. I just I love that glue guy aspect that I that's there with him. So I'm going to go with a little bit more of what I do know as opposed to you know I don't feel like uh, I'm a team that can that can I don't want to say waste a draft pick. That's not the the right way to phrase it, but. I'm not taking a flyer here. I'm going to go with the sure thing, at least in my mind. And maybe in a few months, we're going to look at this and be like, boy, Chance Westry has just boomed onto the scene here. There's an injury thing there with him too. So I'm going to go Quadir, toss it to you, Mike, and see where you go with Chance still on the board, a couple intriguing players still left. First of all, going back to Quadir, he could be a lot more valuable given his strengths as a multi-positional guy and a really good defender now that Syracuse is going to play a little bit more man-to-man than he was in a zone. Cause in a zone, well, you're either playing him up top, which is fine. You can put a guard up top, 
but he's how, you know, how much does he really impact the game there? Or you had to slide him to small forward where now he's a six, six guy. And sometimes that can be a little bit of a liability on the boards. If all of a sudden the other team's power forward or center is on his side of the floor, you know, going, you know, just backing him, you know, pounding him on the glass. Uh, if Syracuse is in man to man, Quadir Copeland can guard the one, two, three, or even the four. Cause he's six, six. He's got quick feet. He's got long arms. I think he can be a force defensively. So does that strength get him on the floor more this year than, than it, than it was able to in the past when Syracuse is in a zone. So yeah, I like the pick. You're going to go man to man and Quadir Copeland is going to, you know, lead your harassing defense there, Frank. Good job. Uh, my pick. Well, you've, you let him drop to me and I'm going to take a chance on chance. There you go. I, I, I have to take the Auburn transfer. Um, you know, it remains to be seen where he's going to be as the season gets underway at Auburn last year, he only played in 11 games. Uh, he was shut down after uh, around late December, early January after not playing a lot uh, because of a knee injury. I've heard this summer, they've been taking it very slow with him. Uh, he is working out. He is doing drills and stuff. I don't know if he's gotten into the five-on-fives yet. They want to be very careful with him and bring him along. But if you're talking a six-foot-six guy with a point guard's mentality, a guy who can see the floor and distribute, and I know that the, the three-point shooting may not be there, but I'm still going to put him in a, in a backcourt with Judah and just let him go. And maybe I even give him the ball some and let Judah play off the ball. And I'm going to have to rely maybe more on my forwards, Chris Bell and Benny Williams, for some three-point shooting. That might be the one area of the game where I'm going to worry about a little bit with my five. Um, but, you know, you got to go back and look. He was the 39th ranked player in the recruiting class in 2022. That's ta There's talent there. There's something there. So I'll take him and, and we'll bring we'll bring Chance along uh, throughout the fall. So I'm down to my final pick here, and I'm looking at some names that all would fit into either the unknown category, recovering from injury category, or they've scratched the surface category, right? Yeah. yeah. Which in a draft, eventually you're going to get to that pick where you're just like, hey, man, let's take a chance. Mm -hmm. So with my fifth and final pick and the 10th and final pick of this draft, I am going to take Monir Hema. Okay. Just because of the names left on the board, he's the one I feel the most comfortable with. I saw enough from Monir last year that I was impressed by. I mean, Jesse Edwards just vacuumed up all the minutes and was such a, a focus on that position. But in those moments when Jesse was off the court, I walked away saying yeah, Monir needs more time in the oven, if you will. But I, I like the skill set there. And I, and I like what he can bring to the table. You brought it up, Mike, in the man-to-man -man defense now. I mean, I'm intrigued to see what he does there. I, I feel like his game's still raw in a lot of ways, but I didn't look at it last year and say, oh boy, like, you know, let's not see him again on the court for the next two years. I walked away saying, okay, there, there's something there. So uh, as I've turned to you a few times here, Mike, and I'll, and I'll do again, what, what's the offseason buzz on Monir and, and what kind of role he can step into this year? The big thing I'm hearing with Monir is he's healthy again. 
Uh, you go back to last season, and it might have been a little bit underreported because the coaches weren't talking a lot about it. But, you know, Mimir was, you know, he had a few nagging injuries. And for a big guy, especially like one of his injuries involved a foot, um, you know, that's that's really tough for a big guy to play through, right? Um, you know, for two reasons. Uh, from February 1st on, he didn't play more than six minutes in a game. No more than six minutes. And one reason was the injuries. And the other one was they decided they were riding Jesse Edwards because Jesse was playing so well. And also Jesse learned to stay out of foul trouble, you know, by the, you know, midway point of the season last year, that kind of started to go away. So he could stay on the floor, but you know, I, yeah, I like Muneer. I mean, early on in the season, God, you remember those seven block shots against St. John's down? Oh, the that's right. Yeah. Good point. I mean, yeah. yeah. How, how many, you know, reserve centers register seven blocks in a game? Uh, you know, that was a game where Jesse was in huge foul trouble. So, yeah, you got yourself – you had two ways you could have gone with that last pick. You could have gotten yourself a, a legitimate, you know, bona fide center in Munir and then move Malik Brown to the four. Or you could have gone with the, with a smaller lineup and said, no, Malik's at the five, and this would have worked. And you could have taken maybe Kyle Cuff, mm-hmm. the transfer from Kansas. Now he hasn't played in two years. He was a redshirt as a freshman. He had a knee injury that – you know, two two games into last season, the poor kid goes down with a knee injury, so he hasn't played in a long time. That's We're talking a, a lot of rust. But what I'm hearing about Kyle Cuff, even though we didn't end up taking him, but you're, I'm hearing explosive athlete, uh, potential to be a great on-ball defender. So, you know, you could have shaped your, your, your roster there and said, you know what, I'm be a little smaller. But look at the defenders you would have had. You would have had J.J., who led the – no, J.J. Starling, big guard, long arms. You would have had Kyle Cuff, explosive athlete, quite Quartier, yeah. You know, Malik. only your Swiss Army knife of defenders. And I so think let's... what we're learning here is, Brent, Yeah, I think there is a lot of not just depth but versatility on this yes. roster. Yes. And that's like one of the reasons we decided to have this little exercise and have some fun with it, because you could actually do this in a way where you could go different ways with a draft pick. It wasn't just you pick the only point guard on the team and then I had to pick the only other point guard on the team and you pick the only small forward on the team and I picked the only other small forward. We could have gone a lot of ways. We could do this again. And it'd be completely different. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Yeah. What you were just saying there about Kyle and the decision between Kyle and who was left on the board with Monier in that case or anybody else really intrigued me because, look, it's the offseason and everybody, of course, is the greatest player on the planet in the offseason. You're hearing, you're hearing great things. Everybody's in shape. And, you know, it's kind of like when you watch a draft and, and all you hear about is the upside and maybe none of the flaws. But there were enough flaws is not the right way to put it. There's enough hesitation for me in some ways. That and from you that Kyle didn't quite get drafted, but like you said, Mike, we could do this again tomorrow, and maybe he does. And I've got that smaller, quick lineup. Which of the things I'm hearing in the offseason, Mike, that's the thing I'm most intrigued by, and I think that's the thing a lot of fans are intrigued by push the pace, quick, small lineup, hurry, 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 let's go. Yet there's four big men on this team, so the intrigue and the and the versatility and the ability to switch the lineups here is fascinating. And we are going to talk about it much more as we go along here in the offseason. Mike and Don are going to be writing about it. I'll be writing about it, of course, on Syracuse.com. Quickly, Mike, to recap before we go, Mike's team, Judah Mintz, Benny Williams, Chris Bell, 
Naeem McLeod, Chance Westry, Brent's team, J.J. Starling, Malik Brown, Justin Taylor, Quadir Copeland, Monir Hema. Maybe we can talk Coach Autry into splitting off those groups that can play five-on-five in in a practice and see who wins, and then we can determine who won the draft, Mike. I'll suggest them for Orange Madness on October 13th. There you go. We just set the lineup for that upcoming event just about two months from now. Michael, it's always great time to talk SU hoops. It's always great to catch up with you. Appreciate you hopping on episode three here of Syracuse Sports. Let us know, of course, Mike has his own podcast, the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, so please subscribe to that and listen to that. It's fantastic, and always enjoy the conversations that Mike has there. And, of course, read his work on Syracuse.com. Thank you so much, sir. Brent, this was a fun, fun game. It felt like a game for me. I mean, I love drafts, so – this was really great. We got to have a fun draft and we talked to SU hoops. Uh, what could be better than this? So thanks for having me on your podcast. And and by the way, I've listened to your first uh, a couple of them with uh, Emily and Chris Carlson, and, and they've been great so far. So keep it up. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Much appreciated, sir. And see, we didn't even have to do a snake draft for this to work out well. Let's dip into the voicemail bag. And don't forget that you can send us a voicemail at 315 315- 552-1964. A couple of good reactions came in after episode two, which focused on Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers and his job status here at Syracuse. The first one comes in from Bill in Cortland. I don't like to see that the current SU coach, his job's on the line. I think he's done a wonderful job developing what he gets. And I look at it because I follow other programs. He gets a 6'1", 200-pound linebacker. Three stars, maybe. Other schools pick up three, six, three, 225-pound linebackers out of high school, four stars. So I think with what he has, he's done well. Last year, I was very disappointed in his defensive line, maybe because they're small. But it seems to me if a team needed three or four yards, they ran left and got their four yards or five. That's a question mark about this year's team. The defensive line looks deep, but who stands out there? The return of Terry Lockett, I think, is really going to help there. And, of course, Caleb Okachuku is one of the standout players at that position. But what Bill said about Dino doing just fine speaks to a column that I wrote last year that what we saw in last year's season, now Syracuse got a little bit of everything last year, right? You start 6-0, and you finish 7-6 and overall with the tailspin at the end of the season. But what caused that tailspin? At the end of the season, a couple of key injuries. This team, while doing the best they can with what they have, Bill, is still just two or three injuries from sliding away from contention. The depth is better. The recruiting seems to be on the rebound, but they're still just a couple of key injuries away from their season derailing. Let's take a listen to our second voicemail, also about Dino Babers, and you're going to hear a couple of different voices in this one. But the but the question that I have is, what's the alternative? So you get rid of Dino Babers, and then what? Okay, who, who are you going to hire? Who's going to who's going to who's Syracuse going to get at that point? Because the problem is that there, there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of, of coaches available, you know, in the landscape that would be an upgrade over Dino Babers. So let's think about that. Obviously, he has to make a bowl game, but beyond that, I think he stays. I left the dog in there. I had to leave the dog in there. He was very opinionated about this situation. But I think that is a very fair point made in that voicemail 
about Dino Babers. All right, everybody says, okay, if they don't get to X, Y, and Z, you got to fire the coach. What's your plan after that? I have questioned that for years. It's easy to say fire the coach. It's easy to tweet fire the coach. But what is your plan? I don't want Syracuse or anybody to feel pigeonholed to one particular coach. Even Nick Saban at some point could be vulnerable, right? But what is the plan beyond that? And what it, I don't even know the answer to this question. I'm just going to answer, ask it rhetorically at this point, and maybe we can figure this out as the season goes. What's the market like for coaches at the end of this season? Is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? But as we go back to episode two, that's a point that I made in that show that I don't feel that John Wildhack would fire Dino Babers one way or the other. I think he would just let him retire. But if he wins seven or eight games, then you have to give him an extension. It is a fascinating this or that. When it comes to Dino Babers, there is no in-between this season. So a couple of good voicemails there. We appreciate you checking in there. Once again, the phone number to uh, leave us a voicemail on the show is 315-552-1964. Speaking of Syracuse football and speaking of traditions, there's just one more thing. I was struck recently by a social media exchange. Shout out to Matt in Manoa about traditions, or maybe their lack thereof. The back and forth spawned from seeing former SU star Sean Tucker wearing the number 44 as a rookie with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Tucker entered rarefied air as one of the greatest running backs in SU history, which, of course, lit the old sparks about why the famed number 44 isn't worn anymore. Tucker seemed amendable to wearing 44 at first, but then ultimately decided that he'd rather have his number 34 stand as his legacy. Understandable. Now, Matt's point was that Syracuse had botched the tradition by retiring 44, making it, in his words, quote, a dusty trophy on a shelf and not an active tradition. My point to Matt was it takes two to tango for a tradition like that to survive. I have no issue with Tucker or any player forging their own legacy. But here's where I'm going to meet Matt in the middle. We live in an era where the fabric of college sports has become the sweater song by Weezer, Conference realignment, the transfer portal, NIL, and television money are holding the thread and walking away. The firm line between professional and college sports has almost permanently faded. Syracuse football's a little light on tradition these days. Let's face it, it doesn't have a true blue rivalry game. Would Ohio State-Michigan be moved to a baseball stadium? Please. The last game on the schedule this year is Wake Forest. Doesn't exactly scream end-of-the-year rivalry game, does it? really tells you all you need to know. If Syracuse's grandest tradition is a number that has been out of circulation for nearly 20 years, then that needs to change. A tradition isn't just a look to the past for warm and fuzzy feelings. Tradition lives on. It reminds of the past, but it also has a future. Matt said it best, an active tradition. I think that's what Matt is yearning for. I think it's what most fans are concerned about in the modern era of college football. Now, we get why television deals are important, but no one's buying a jersey that's got, hey, look, $40 million from ESPN on the back of it. Come on. Debating star rankings for prospective recruits or transfers has been replaced with who can get a bigger NIL deal, like their NFL free agents. In turbulent times, Syracuse football fans are looking for comfort food, and the cupboard is bare. Now, I'm never going to replicate my grandmother's old spaghetti sauce recipe, but I sure do enjoy trying. It's an active tradition in my house on Sundays when the gravy's on the stove. So, Matt, I would say this to you. Put it in your hands. Make your own game day tradition and cherish that instead of pointing at Syracuse and blaming them. 
for not keeping the flame of the 44 lit. That's episode three of Syracuse Sports. I want to thank our guest, Mike Waters. I'd also like to thank Nate Mink, Lauren Long, Scott Schild, and Krista Lemzak for their technical assistance. And thank you for watching and listening today. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. And while you are there, leave us a review. It really helps us stand out. We'll talk to you next time.